Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today, we're going to be discussing the Emmy contenders for that marquee category in the Emmys. Uh, They have hundreds of uh, categories, not hundreds, but over 100. Uh, But the one everybody waits for is drama series. That's why they present it right at the end of the show. Um, Then you're going to hear a snippet, a snippet, but a a good one from Dominic's interview with Dan Levy and Annie Murphy of Schitt's Creek. Now, listen, let me tell you, there is nothing up Schitt's Creek about Schitt's Creek because it's, (laughs) of course, ended its, its wonderful run this year. As we go into this, let's be clear. So, labor peace now reigns in Hollywood. The WGA and the producers and the studios have come to a tentative deal. However, as we all know, and I hope you're all staying safe and healthy, coronaviruses are, cases are spiking here in LA County. There are probably going to be new measures, further measures locking down, especially going into this July 4th weekend. So, that's some real life drama. Now, Let's talk about the drama where everything could really pay off, especially for some of the newbies in town, like Apple and maybe even, I know it sounds weird, but the force is often strong with this one. I actually think that Disney Plus have some real potential. Disney have lots of potential for The Mandalorian. What do you think? Well, you know, I've often said uh, Emmy voters, which I'm one, are complete snobs just like Motion Picture Academy voters are. After the first Star Wars, did you, can you name one of those movies that got even close to a Best Picture nomination? No. No, but Empire Strike Back should have. Yes. But here, I'm going to tell you this about uh, Mandalorian. Uh, Battlestar Galactica, indeed, uh, should have uh, gotten nominated. It didn't, it couldn't get out of the ghetto of special effects and things in Emmy categories. What broke the mold though for the Emmys was Game of Thrones. Yeah. And and that came out of a genre that normally wasn't there. And now I think they may be more uh, willing to look at uh, different forms here. The Academy is bigger now. There, it's you know, broader. I mean, I, I, you know, I know it's no longer the blockbuster that it once was, but I always thought that Walking Dead Walking Dead never benefited from that Game of Thrones, um, Game of Thrones breakthrough. Never. And here's the thing: is the Walking Dead, the mo- its most recent season, which actually sadly had to end a, a, an episode short because of the coronavirus pandemic. Walking Dead is telling some of the best stories ever now, especially even more so that the comic itself, that it's based on by Robert Kirkman, has ended, and the, and the stories are progressing. I don't know if anyone's going to listen to me. Two things I'm plugging. Jackie Gleason gets a posthumous Emmy. Still (laughs) on that. That's not ending, my friend. We're on that. And secondly, all I'm saying is just give The Walking Dead a chance. Here's where I think Mandalorian actually might have a chance. Because I agree with you almost 100% on this. And you and I almost never agree 100% on anything. But there's one thing I think that is the X factor here. Werner Herzog. I think that the acclaimed German director, his... I mean, it's not a cameo. There's a real role here as a baddie in Mandalorian. I think he could get a supporting actor. And as as you say, in terms of snob value, Werner Herzog, very good there. No, that's good. That's good. And, you know, we'll see uh, if this can uh, come through in that way, The Mandalorian. But I still have uh, I still have a little doubt. And you mentioned The Walking Dead. I, I know for a fact that AMC, for the first five seasons or so, would come around every season and say, okay, we're going to do a big campaign. We're going to focus on the humans. They did a whole billboard campaign just talking about humans, trying to make this not a zombie show. It didn't matter. And you know what? They finally gave up. They stopped promoting it. 
They knew this was not going anywhere. Do you ever hear it mentioned with Better Call Saul or even dispatches from elsewhere, all their other shows that they're pushing? Uh, no, they know what they're going to get. Makeup nominations, special effects, that kind of thing. But you know, I think so it's, it's I, you know, look, but I, this I think might work. This was plus. on the show. I think there was definitely things. I think Norman Reedus, I think Melissa McBride. There's a lot to, there's, there's a lot to look at there. I, I think, though, as you say, yeah. they will be overlooked, sadly. Yeah. Sadly. Now, um, they're not campaigning they as won. much as, they're not campaigning as much as Apple is. Apple no. is really throwing it all at the wall here for this Emmy season and trying to bring in, uh, you know, the morning show, which I see an ad on all networks, on all things, constantly. For I will tell show. you, I never cease to be amazed that a tech company starts a streaming uh, platform and their big show is a show about network broadcast television <laughs> morning shows. And it's yes. a shame because I, I really was hoping that you'd see Apple put some muscle behind uh, Ron Moore's For All Mankind, its alternative uh -huh. history NASA show. Um, right. there's, a, there's a lot of good stuff out there. But, you know, look, here's the interesting thing. You know, with Disney+, Plus, with Apple TV+, Plus, you have, and, and, you know, coming down the pike, not this year, but certainly for next year, with Peacock and with HBO Max, you have some new heavy contenders with huge bucks to spend. Even in the middle of a global pandemic, they're right. spending huge money on billboards that only are getting, I don't know, half the drive-by traffic they usually would, but still eyeballs that matter. Yeah, and Morning Show, actually, in a tribute to the late, great uh, Carl Reiner, who I wrote an appreciation for yesterday. Uh, if you want to check it out, it has a whole a TV Academy tribute that I got to host, and it's really, uh, really interesting and fun to watch him. Uh, he did uh, the Dick Van Dyke Show, which was the was people kept acknowledging yesterday, the first great show, uh, TV show about TV, about a television show. I would say The Morning Show is a very good show. If you watch the whole thing, it got, some critics jumped on it in the beginning. but I would be want, one of those critics. Okay, well, if you go back and look at it, they got really powerful at the end. You are, very, you are, you are such a kind human being, it never ceases to amaze me. So let's, <laughs> let's spread some kindness around. Okay. Good Fight, The Crown. Yes, great show, great show. I think This Is Us is gonna be a contender as always. Ozark, perhaps even more now because they've just announced they're going into the final season, which of course ramps up the sentimentality. Um, Handmaid's Tale came off an incredibly powerful third season that sadly in many ways and wonderfully in others seems way too poignant for the, year, the, the times we're living through. <laughs> you talked about it earlier and I'll bring it up too because Better Call Saul, especially Rhea Seaborn, amazing oh, performance. Rhea Seaborn, Vince Gilligan, when I talked to him, I'm, could not stop talking about her. Could Rhea, not stop talking. About her. I mean, the show could, should have been called Better Call Kim this year. I mean, yeah. she was fantastic. We, I talked to her. Um, I talked to her for our Contenders TV virtual event. I mean, look, Bob Odenkirk turned the panel over to her. I mean, it's yeah. clear <laughs> where where this is, and all rightly deserved. Big yeah. Little Lies back now. A series transformation there. I love now that's an interesting let's stop on that for a second because Big Little Lies was a limited series uh in fact I ran my Nicole Kidman behind the lens yesterday and she talked about this and she said it was a limited series they have no intention of going but they didn't want to leave these women behind and what she said I thought was interesting she said um, a show about the abused after the abuser is gone fascinated her and gave that new real depth and gravitas to explore. And I think they did. And I, I think 
the uh, second season in the drama series category uh, uh, stands uh, uh, very uniquely in there and, and could jump in. We'll, we'll see. But of course, HBO's behind it and they're behind a little show called Succession. We haven't mentioned tiny Succession. Tiny little show. A tiny little show that is by far, by far the front runner here, unless they want to crown the crown finally. But um, I, I think Succession is the one, it, it's the 800 pound gorilla, whatever you want to call it in this race. It's the one that's there that's uh, looming over everybody right Do you, now. And it's a great you, show. It's a great show. Do you feel like in many ways this category is going to come down to a showdown between the Olivia Coleman led The Crown and the Brian Cox led Succession? I think so. And, and interestingly enough, once again, it's Netflix versus HBO. And just when Netflix thought they had it, HBO, because Game of Thrones was gone, uh, and they've never won this. They've never won a drama series. They've never won a limited series. They've never won a comedy series. They're the one streamer that is hoping to get a big prize. They have the crown and a great season, crowning season here. Um, Ouch! <laughs> so I think the crown will appeal uh, to the traditional academy voter, but succession is the one with the heat. So I don't know. Let's see. But I, we mentioned all these shows and I think I, I just want to say, cause you sort of like railroaded through a lot of these. Ouch. Uh, oh, oh yes, you did. Ozark. Oh, well, if I'm going to railroad, then allow me to get on the express train. Ozark having sentimentality. FX's Pose, which is amazing. Yes. Killing Eve, a past winner. Surely had a great season. And for me, Killing so we, all, never we, we all have we all have favorites, but yeah. I have to say the 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 final season of Homeland with Claire Danes and Mandy Patinkin. Look, I, I am a huge fan of Homeland. Always have been. That sort of what Alex and Howard have done with that sort of that sort of television. Again, so connected to our times. They clearly learned a lot on their visits to DC and Spy Camp, as they call it. But this final season, you just have to you have to look at Claire and Mandy with fresh eyes and, and almost forget their past victories and just see what they did here. And I hope that Emmy voters remember how good Homeland is and how good their landing to a finale was, because that's a hard, hard landing and they pulled it off. Yeah, you know, it's always hard for a show that sort of uh, peaked and had its day in terms of Emmys. I'm not talking in terms of quality. This show held it up and, and, and did go out on a high. I hope, just to take that down to one level, Mandy Patinkin, who has not won an Emmy for this show, uh, is recognized. He's so good in yeah. that role, uh, so good. I mean, Claire Danes, you know, is always, always great, and she won Emmys for this, but Mandy hasn't. He's been nominated all the time. But um, maybe they'll look at him this year, and maybe you're right. Maybe that one can be pulled out. It's a good year, actually, for drama. Now, let's, let's talk about that, because, you know, segue, natural, best actor. Let's yeah. start there. So. I think we all agree, both you and I agree, Mandy, for sure, for sure. Uh, Brian Cox, interestingly enough, too, Brian Cox's co-star, Jeremy Strong, who plays his eldest son, who if you watch Succession, spoiler alert, stabbed him in the fucking back. Um, yes. uh, that finale. finale, I know, it's great. He's great, Jeremy Strong. Yeah, and He's Jeremy really Strong He is, won I, the I Critics' know, Choice. He and and so, uh, Brian won the Golden Globe. So yeah, we've got a contest here. Exactly. And Jeremy is so dedicated to that character. Um, I would also say, again, um, you know, Bob Odenkirk, we brought him up. Uh, yeah, it Billy may be Porter, his year. Who, who won last Maybe year. Maybe his year. Maybe Bob's uh, year. I don't know. What do you think? Jason Bateman? 
Oh, definitely. Jason will get nominated, no question about it. And, um, you know, who else do we like here? Uh, I would say Sterling K. Brown is a favorite and always gets nominated uh, for This Is Us. Milo uh, Ventimiglia has always gotten nominated too. You know, that is holding the flag for network series here. This Is Us, it still is. Whether uh, it's worn out its welcome a little bit, uh, I don't know. We'll find out this year, but they do seem to be uh, reliably voting for these actors here. So uh, I, I would love Billy to Porter I won this last year. Nomination for Delroy Linda for the good fight. Yeah, I think yeah. I think Delroy had a fantastic season. Fantastic season. Um and sadly will be his last season on the good fight. Um, yeah, but then he can move on to the Oscars, Dominic, because he's brilliant in the five bloods, the spike lead. Totally, totally. And, and you know yeah. what? That is what I call a nice perfect circle for uh, an award season for an actor who deserves it, who's put in yeah. decades of good hard work and is, is yep. now getting the recognition and, and the height of his career. So I really want, I really would like to see that for Delroy. And so let's, let's, let's um, not forget Billy Porter. I just mentioned him. He won last year. He's defending champ uh, and defending champs in the Emmys often win here. Rami Malek, you know, I, I do you think just cause it's ending? Um, no. I think, okay. I think the, I think Rami, uh, the, the last season of Mr. Robot obviously has come and gone. It was kind of a non-event. Um, I think Rami has already, had already moved on to the big screen, obviously, with his win for Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, you know, sometimes the car just drives past the station a little fast and you just don't see, and this is one of those cases. All right, what about the, the ladies here? Because we have uh, some defending champs from different categories. Nicole Kidman is gonna be in the drama series category. Can you believe that? Did you ever think you'd see the day when Nicole Kidman, uh, movie star here, uh, it's, all one stars. It's, it's all movie stars. Olivia <laughs> Coleman, Oscar winner. Um, Viola Davis, Oscar winner. Uh, you know, uh, it's all like, I mean, it's, 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 it's just across the board. Interesting, I will say, we mentioned it, Claire Danes, just saying, got to have it in, got to have her in there. Got to have Jennifer Aniston. Me, this category for me is impossible to call. I it will is. say Olivia Coleman because she is so fantastic. And because as you often point out, there's the kind of built-in favorite aspect of this is someone who's won an Oscar. This is someone who is so beloved. Name recognition kind of can push you over the top. But then you've got Sandra Oh, Evan Rachel Wood, Nicole Kidman, Mandy Moore, um, Viola Davis, you know, Christine Berninski, Maggie Gyllenhaal, Laura Linney, you know, Elizabeth Moss, Jody from, from Killing Eve, who won last year. I mean, really, like Jennifer Look at Aniston. That. Like, well, you just, how, do you, how do you get out of the package? Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon, both of them uh, will probably get nominated. Definitely Jennifer Aniston, who won the SAG Award, by the way, uh, for this. But look at the number here that you have. Jodie Comer, who won last year. Elizabeth Moss, who won the year before. Viola Davis, who won the year before. Wow. Yeah, I yeah. mean, these repeat winners in this very same category and then throw in Nicole Kidman, like I mentioned, she had won in limited series. And, and you've got a, a lot of veteran Emmy winners uh, going at each other's throats here. And then Olivia Coleman walks in, uh, you know, with her newly minted Oscar from a year ago or so. And, uh, and uh, she could take it all too, like you say. This is a tough one to call. I, I don't Very know. Hard category. And I think, you know, I know that you're a big believer in star power. And I think, you know, clearly when you mention a name like Nicole, of course, that's, that's a huge deal. 
But I feel here there's just so much star power here. It's almost like the supernovas would blow each other out. So yeah, I uh, really. It, it do you feel? Hard. Do you feel the fact that people have been at home actually watching all these shows? I keep bringing this up every week, but actually watching all these shows might make a difference and pull off an upset kind of Maybe. winner. It, it, you know, I find that I, it's a hard one to call there because I think um, you know when I talk to people about this and I've done a couple of stories about it. One of the things I think about at home, the at-home, stay-at-home coronavirus viewing is a lot of people have gone back to what I would call comfort food TV. Now, I'm, not, I'm not sure how, what the West Wing viewership is looking like, but I bet you it's definitely spiked. You know, there's yeah. a lot of that happening. So Dominic, I'm wondering how the West Wing hasn't it. been on for years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying they're watching the West Wing now? What? Uh, the West Wing you're mentioning, the West Wing viewership. What's I just that? think that, I mean, I think that these these are shows that people that people love. Comfort food. No, of course I have. I've rewatched The Wire twice over the pandemic. Oh, The Wire, you yeah. know, still, it leads, you know, when you look at a show that didn't get its due at the Emmys, I mean, that show has lived on and, and proven Emmy voters wrong in in basically ignoring it because that lives on as some people call that the greatest show of all time but they'd be wrong because breaking bad and i love lucy are but if you take that away you'd be wrong there <laughs> now let's quickly look at but hold on but remember as you say as the wire was was looked over so was cameo the great Jackie Gleason, who deserves a posthumous <laughs> Emmy Award. That's true. And, uh, you know, but he was in the lead category. The supporting, you know, Art Carney on The Honeymooners. He, <laughs> he, you know, he won. But, you know, Jackie never won. So here's the thing. Uh, in the supporting category, it's just as, you know, you've got a lot of pairs here. You've got yeah. Karen Culkin and Matthew McFadden from Succession. You've got Bradley Whitford, who they Bradley love. Bradley Whitford, who's now on, who's now on uh, Handmaid's Tale. Joseph Fiennes, and, and he's now in the supporting actor category. Um, you've got Jonathan Banks and Giancarlo Esposito. Come on. Is it about time for these guys breaking bad veterans now and better call Saul to win something? Do you Mark really, Duplass. Well, question. Do you really think that Breaking Bad's the greatest self show ever? I do. Really? I think it's brilliantly made. And you know what? I loved, and I know you didn't love it as much as me, but when I watched this um, to uh, uh, talk to Vince Gilligan, I, I thought El Camino was just great. Uh, that whole scene with Robert Forster uh, in the vacuum store was just perfect television. You know, I, I, will, I will say, as everyone knows, I'm a huge Breaking Bad fan. Not sure I think it's the greatest show ever, but I think it's definitely one of the top 10. Yeah. Um, was not a fan of the El Camino movie. I will say, with an exception of any scene in that movie that had the late, great Robert Foster in it. Because yeah. I thought him and Aaron, that was, that to me was like watching oh. a masterclass. That is a masterclass. I agree. And I, 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 if there is any justice, Robert Forster will be nominated in the guest actor in a drama. Uh, uh, they can't. No, yeah. he's going to have to be supporting actor in a limited uh, yeah. uh, movie. Yes. Well, if there's any justice, they'll put him in there because that, even though it's only two scenes that he really had in the whole thing, and he'd only been in Breaking Bad for one episode, yeah. he made such an impression. What a great actor. Totally. You know, that to me defines supporting. Supporting yeah, yeah. isn't like necessarily a big role, but I liked Mark Duplass and Billy Crudup in, in The Morning Show. And, um, you know, uh, we'll see. The This Is Us actors uh, could creep in there again. Uh, you and never when, know. And then when you flip, but here's, here's the thing is when you flip it to best supporting actress, again, superstar wattage hits you. I mean, you just bring in the name, Meryl oh Streep. Meryl like, Streep. <laughs> okay, we're good. Like, you know, 
Don't we wrap it up for her? No, I don't think so. Because you know what? Helena Bonham Carter uh, yeah. and Princess Margaret, I really think she's probably the front runner here. But then you have Laura you have Dern. Holly Hunter from her great role in Succession. Yeah, and new Oscar winner Laura Dern, who won in this, uh, uh, who won in the limited series category for, for. But I will say, you know, with the likes of Gillian Anderson, with the likes of Thandie Newton, Julia Garner, who won last year, Laura Dern, others, I still say, if you haven't seen the mo the most recent season of, of Better Call Saul and Rhea Seahorn, you have to see the person who either will win this Emmy or deserves to win this Emmy. Please, let's just get her a nomination. Exactly. Voters. Give her the let's award. get her a nomination. Meryl will not miss one less piece of hardware on the shelf, okay? She's <laughs> okay. good. One last person you didn't mention, I didn't mention, gotta mention her, did her on actor's side. I watched that brilliant work that Gugu Mabatha-Raw did in the final episodes of Morning Show. Very timely as, as a victim of sexual assault. She had every beat in that performance, and I am hoping that she gets a nomination as well. Now, uh, you didn't talk to any of these people that we've just mentioned here uh, recently uh, uh, for these interviews that we have on this show, but you did talk to the comedy side, to the Schitt's Creek uh, guys, uh, well, actually, case in point, no, I actually did talk to Rhea and a few other people for our, for our contenders event. Yes. Um, and, but one of the things we also did at contenders TV recently is, you know, we're a broad spectrum of, of excellence and quality on all, on all levels. And it, it is very, very hard to overlook the immense quality of Shit's Creek, the way it, it, it just kind of, a lot of people didn't see the first season, maybe even the first couple of seasons, to be honest. But it, by, by its last couple of seasons, it was on firing on all cylinders. Look, it's got the great Eugene Levy in it. It's got the great Catherine O'Hara in it, who, who last week Pete and I talked about at length. We believe that, again, this is, it is time. The process should be very simple. A lot of nominations. Everybody bows their head. And Queen Catherine the Great gets her award. <laughs> to that end, though, I had the great fortune to speak to Schitt's Creek co-creator Dan Levy and his co-star Annie Murphy about the show, about the series finale, and about working in such, such times as this. Take a listen. Annie, you know, the, the, the I want to say evolution, and I hope that's not the wrong word to use here, that we've seen of Alexis over the series, but specifically over this final season, has been quite amazing. For you as an actor, what were your feelings going into this finale and going into particularly scenes like this? Um, I've been so, so grateful to the the writers and Dan and, and everybody to have written what initially was such a deeply unlikable character. And I'm putting it very mildly, very mildly. It is, I'm being very <laughs> kind. I, I just, this is a time we need to be kind. Um, but then to to allow her to change and transform and grow and learn so dramatically over the course of six seasons. Um, I loved playing season one Alexis, but I loved even more playing season six Alexis because there was so much, she still is a selfish, you know, wild child, but she's also kind and loving and smart and um so seeing her leave the show as an independent <laughs> independent woman sorry for saying independent woman um <laughs> but, 
I loved so much seeing the contrast of the first two-hander that Dan and I had together, which was literally screaming, you get murdered first at each other. And then seeing them walk down the aisle together, um, uh, not in the way it sounds, but uh, but just seeing the the true genuine love that has existed between the two of them forever. But now it's they're they're okay with acknowledging it. You know, one of the things that Dan that, and Annie as well is that the, that happened with Schitt's Creek, which of course immediately was a was a thing because of the name, and you just wanted to hear people have to say it on television. But with all this, <laughs> this thing, and I believe Daniel, I remember once you and I did a, a panel, a previous panel together, and I think you called it our little show. But this is not a little show. This is now a classic comedy, and I think, particularly with this series finale, only puts the capper on that. And series finales are really hard, as Bob Newhart will tell you. So I wanted to get a sense from you: is what is it now, with a bit of time passed since you guys made it, and since we all saw it? What is your feeling about the show now? How do you look back at it? I still see it as a little show. And, you know, our, our budget is nothing compared to the, the company we keep right now. Um, so we've always been scrappy till the end. Um, and I think starting out and particularly having our first kind of four-ish seasons really existing in almost a cult-like environment where people who knew about it really loved it, but the majority of, you know, widespread audiences were slowly starting to find it. I think when you start out with that kind of, um, you know, humble beginnings, you never change the way that you see yourself. I think we always will look at this show as just a great three months that our cast and crew got to have together in, in, in Toronto. And I think in a way, the fact that, that the success of the show really came in the fifth and sixth seasons, it, it still hasn't really settled with all of us because we're just so used to um, making the show for, for ourselves and for, and for the, the kind of passionate fan base, as small as it was or as budding as it was, um, that really enjoyed it. So I don't really, not to speak on everyone's behalf, but I don't think any of us are kind of walking around thinking, <laughs> like, this is a huge show. Um, well, you're wrong. You know, I was because it is. Even in our sixth season, I was still buying clothes on the internet and keeping them in my house until we started. I mean, everything about the show was really kind of guerrilla television making. So, I think you know the process never changed, which never gave us an inflated sense of of importance because the the journey was just as grueling. Daniel, do you think that maybe that is part of it though? Is because you guys took that kind of guerrilla television or punk rock kind of television approach to it? Do you think that's a, that's one of the reasons why? Because I think it is is one of the reasons why it felt so immediate and authentic, even as something that's scripted. Of course, I think when you don't have the pressure of expectation, and you really just—I know that my dad and I, our biggest concern at the end of the day was making a first season of the show that we could be okay with if it didn't go. Meaning, if you know, if the, if we aired our first season and people didn't watch it and it got yanked off the air we would at least have the closure of knowing that we made exactly what we wanted to make. So it was that quest for closure that was really the most important thing for us. Telling the story as purely and specifically um, and sort of com comedically, tonally, as, as specific as we possibly could make it, that was the goal. And that was always the goal. And it was, we were very fortunate that people ended up really responding to what we were, what we were making. But you know, the, these shows that come out that have huge hype and huge expectation, I can't, I couldn't really imagine 
um, this show being a part of, I, I, it's just, it's, it's a lot. So I give a lot of credit to the, uh, to the showrunners and, and television creators out there that are burdened with that kind of expectation, even just from an, a network standpoint. I think when you have networks throwing a hundred million dollars into your show, there is quite frankly, a very different expectation in terms of the return on investment. So it's been very nice. It's been very kind of modest in a way. And I think that's really allowed for all of us to focus on what's really important, which is just making good TV. So if you are going to go up Schitt's Creek, that's the kind of people you want doing the paddling for you. And with that, thank you for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Now, you do listen to us, and we greatly appreciate that, but you should please also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode or a prediction. Oh, and speaking of predictions, the Emmy voting goes live, starts on uh, July 2nd today. And uh, we'll go until the 13th. So Academy voters out there, now is the time. You got to vote and you can find out the results of all of that and everything going on on all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, and everything affecting the industry at Deadline.com. So thank you in the heat of Emmys. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you for joining us and we will talk to you next week. 